the verdict on all counts was not guilty. March 28th, 2018, it ended. They hugged their families. Their outside courtroom number... The Belfast rape trial was over. It had been going on for nine weeks and was easily the most talked about court case on the island of Ireland. I've heard students talking about it. Sure. No one really knows what happened this week. Nine weeks of examining what happened in the bedroom of an Irish international rugby player followed outside the court in conversations everywhere on the nature of sexual consent. A young woman had made allegations. Four men stood trial, two men were charged with rape, one with exposure and one with perverting the course of justice and withholding information. All were found not guilty. There were no complaints about the trial process from the legal profession. It was properly conducted and in accordance with the current system. But outside the court, there were protests about that system. This is a conversation that's been going on for a long time among lawyers and lobbyists for victims. The current system needs to be reviewed. So the authorities in the North appointed a panel of experts to assess the suitability of the current adversarial system when it came to trying serious sexual offences. The panel included legal experts, those who work on behalf of victims and some of the people involved in the Belfast rape trial itself. Stuart Holding emerged with his solicitor who read a statement on his... For example, behalf. Paul Dugan, the solicitor representing one of the men charged with rape. Everything that happened that evening was consensual. I would like to pay tribute to the young woman. Paula Hillman, the chief superintendent in the police service of Northern Ireland, which prosecuted the men. In the police and criminal justice process. And Patricia Smith, the judge in the Belfast rape trial. The panel those people joined was called the Gillen Review Panel, after the retired judge who headed it, John Gillen. We are the envy of and the template for many other nations. But in the area of serious sexual offences, the system badly needs repair. An independent review of serious sexual assault cases has... John Gillen published his preliminary report earlier this week on November the 20th, 2018. Rape charges of rugby internationals Paddy Jackson and Stuart The kinds of questions the Gillen Review panel were asked to consider were these. Why are serious sexual offences not reported to the police more? Why do those who go to the police then withdraw from the legal process at such a high rate? And why is the trial process so daunting? Our question is this. What was it about the Belfast rape trial which prompted the setting up of the advisory panel? To answer that, you have to return to the trial itself. And a word of warning here. There is a level of detail that the Belfast court heard about bodily functions and intimate relations between people. It's not what you'd normally hear on radio, but it is important in understanding the adversarial system and the ways in which each side tried to persuade the jury to their point of view and to undermine the other side's case. And it's South Africa now, hold under pressure. Is there an effect? The story of events leading to the Belfast rape trial of early 2018 began in South Africa in 2016. The Irish rugby team are on tour. And here comes Rory Best with the line Two of the players are friends from Ulster. Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding. The tour of South Africa ended on a Saturday. The Irish team were then on leave. Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding flew home and on the following Monday night, they were out in Belfast. The court heard Paddy Jackson had six or seven pints of Guinness. The two players ended up with friends in a local nightclub. 
that same nightclub was a 19-year-old woman who was celebrating the end of her exams. When Olding and Jackson left the nightclub with two friends and three women they knew, the 19-year-old student joined them. The eight people went on to a house party in Paddy Jackson's house. They were taking selfies, which they posted on social media, making videos, drinking Prosecco. ABBA was being played on someone's phone. The 19-year-old woman sent a message to her friend saying, I'm back at Paddy Jackson's. Her friend replied, Ha ha, how and why? The woman didn't reply for another seven hours. Paddy Jackson's brother, who was upstairs in the house, sent him a message saying, Need to keep it down a wee bit because of the neighbours and it's Monday. At one point, the 19-year-old woman went up to Paddy Jackson's bedroom with him, where he and she started kissing. He started to undo her trousers. She said she wasn't interested in going further and both went back downstairs. Later, the woman prepared to leave and went looking for her clutch bag, which she found upstairs in Paddy Jackson's bedroom. He followed her back up to the bedroom. Both were in the bedroom for an hour and a quarter. What happened in that room in that hour and a quarter caused the young woman to leave the house in tears. She went to the police and the four men at the party were charged. Paddy Jackson was charged with one count of rape and one count of sexual assault. Stuart Olding was charged with rape. Their friend Blaine McElroy was charged with one count of exposure. And another friend, Rory Harrison, was charged with perverting the course of justice and withholding information. Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding were also suspended by Ireland and Ulster Rugby. The reputation or branding of Irish rugby was at stake. Although Jackson and Olding were in their 20s, they were already earning six-figure sums each, not just as athletes, but as personalities too. Because if you look up Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding on YouTube, you see that their former employers, the IRFU and Ulster Rugby, have put up videos showing their boyish camaraderie off the pitch. Paddy Jackson is shown making a prank call, for example. Hello, Liz Kid. Hi, Les. It's uh, Patrick here from the ticket office at Ulster Rugby. G'day, Patrick. How are you, buddy? And Stuart Olding is answering a favourites quiz. Top thing to put into a time capsule? An iPhone. Top tip to aspiring young rugby players? Work hard. Top thing you couldn't live without? A friends. The billboard ads for the Irish rugby team festooning Belfast at the time didn't show the players in action on the field, but laughing together and being sociable. And, ironically, the charges against Jackson and Olding arose out of a social occasion. As a further irony, the Irish rugby players are paid thanks partly to the sport's major sponsors, a drinks company and a mobile technology company, and yet much of the trial related to drink and what people wrote on their phones. The trial began at the end of January 2018. In his opening remarks to the jury of nine men and three women, Toby Hedworth QC for the prosecution said the events... There were five senior counsel in court, one each for the four men and a fifth for the prosecution. The barrister for the prosecution was Toby Hedworth from Newcastle in England. He's a veteran of criminal trials. In my chambers, there are people who practice in all sorts of law. Most of them make a lot more money than the people who do crime. But they and their wives, if you're out for supper with them, they don't want to talk about subclause four of a building contract. They want to talk about something dreadful that one person's done to another person, which is where the criminal law comes in. While the other four senior and four junior barristers in the case have been hired by the four men to defend them, 
Toby Hedworth and his junior have not been hired by the young woman to put her case. They've been hired by the Public Prosecution Service and the young woman, who's known as the complainant, is their witness. When retired Judge John Gillen met complainants while compiling his report, he said they felt that rather than being witnesses, they felt they were the accused. Virtually without exception. That was a theme that coursed through virtually all of the meetings I had with complainants. They felt that they were people on trial. The Gillen Advisory Panel recommended that complainants should have their own legal representation in court. In the Belfast trial, the young woman, the so-called complainant, was a witness in the case being put for the prosecution by barrister Toby Hedworth. One of the four senior barristers up against Toby Hedworth's prosecution case is Brendan Kelly, who is acting for Paddy Jackson. He also happens to be my cousin. He's based in London but works regularly in Belfast. In a case of this sort, the evidence came from all manner of different sources. And it wasn't until probably a month before the trial that I became familiar with all of the evidence. How important is it to win, that you win? For my psyche, no, it's not, it's not as important. That's not my drive. My drive is to do the job properly. The events which ended with the alleged rape of a then 19-year-old woman in Paddy Jackson's... The first day, January the 30th, 2018, generated two main talking points. The first was about messages. In the trial, like any criminal trial, the first day is where the state's barrister, or in this case, the Crown's barrister, sets out the case for the prosecution. The court also heard about WhatsApp messages between the accused the next day when Stuart Olding allegedly wrote, it was like a merry-go-round at a carnival. The jury also heard how the next day, the alleged victim texted a close friend and said, I got raped. Asked by her friend if there was more than one person involved, she said two, and then a third tried to get involved. I was crying. Those WhatsApp messages generated much online disgust. The next talking point from the first day was about a group of people who sat in the public gallery, and one man in particular. Evidence. Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding both deny the charges against them. Our correspondent Keith Doyle was at Belfast Crown Court. The woman gave her evidence from behind a curtain, but it was relayed on a screen which was able to be seen by the defendants, the media and the public gallery, where the Ireland and Ulster captain Rory Best and other players and rugby staff were sitting. Rory Best, the Irish rugby captain, was criticised for showing up at the trial. This was read by those outside the court as a public statement of his support for the rugby players and in opposition to the young woman. The hashtag, not my captain, started trending. Sorry, Roy, did you have permission from the RFU to attend the trial last Wednesday? At a post-match press conference um, a few days later, he was asked about his presence in the court. It's on the record that I've been called as a character witness and I was advised that it was important that I got both sides of the story so that I could make an informed decision. Um, about that. Talk to me about Rory Best. The advice was given that he should attend day one. Brendan Kelly, defending Paddy Jackson. Because it's often the case that if a defendant calls a character witness, the first thing that the Crown will do to undermine the character witness is to say to them, well, you don't really know all about this case, do you? You don't know what it is that Paddy Jackson's supposed to have done or said. And in order to meet that particular common complaint, it's often the case that the character witness will be there at the outset. The Rory Best issue was one of the first examples of the typical practices of the court being at odds with the perception of those outside the court. It clearly provided a feeding frenzy for the press. It looked like he was endorsing 
Paddy Jackson? I think he was endorsing Paddy Jackson and he endorses him to this day. And it was seen that he was perhaps best suited to explain a little more about Jackson other than this drink-crazed individual who'd behaved in the way that the Crown said he'd behaved. The Rory Best issue was also one of the first times that the events taking place outside the court intruded into the court proceedings. Earlier, Judge Patricia Smith said it may have been hard for the jurors not to be aware of press coverage about the attendance of Rory Best at the trial last week. She said the only reason the Ireland rugby captain was in the courtroom was because he was directed to be there by senior counsel. In the Republic, character witnesses aren't called in rape trials. Another more significant difference is that, in the Republic, defendants are not identified in rape trials. So, if Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding were on trial in Dublin, say, the public wouldn't know about it. Given the fame of the two main defendants, there was no way the public were not going to follow this trial in the media. But the public didn't need the media to follow this trial, because in the North, unlike the South, members of the public are allowed into the public gallery during a rape trial. In the South, only journalists are allowed in. So every day there were, say, between 50 and 80 people who would gather and wait until the doors of the courtroom opened at half ten and then file in to sit in the public gallery of the Belfast trial. The question of the public attending a rape trial was considered by the Gillen panel. To go through the humiliation of relating the intimate personal details of what happened where the complainants are alleging that their bodily integrity was violated. What on earth can the benefit be in making people go through this humiliation in front of a packed public gallery? But back in early 2018, who were the general public who were in the gallery at the Belfast rape trial? Today, for example, there was um, a retired judge, there was a retired policeman, there were several law students. Well, I'm an undergraduate law student whose final year and just had an interest in the case. What stage are you at in your studies? At the minute, I'm actually doing evidence, so it's quite interesting for me to see people being cross-examined. Especially a vulnerable witness. It's a very important topic in evidence. Well, I've never been to a criminal trial before, and I was just interested in finding out about the mechanics of the process. Your own background, are you a retired man? I'm a retired man, a retired medical man, yeah. All right, so some of the evidence today was medical. It was, was that... very, it was very interesting, yes. I have experience as a general practitioner in the past, yes. So it, it, it's very interesting. I think the case has garnished a lot of public interest and uh, I had some time on my hands today so decided just to come in and see for myself. And does it compare to, to what you see in the movies or what you see in TV drama? Definitely not. It strikes me as very slow and uh, less heated, actually. It's interesting, I think the legal counsel have a lot of respect for each other and I don't feel that they work against each other. They're there to do a job. There was a lot of medical stuff going on today. How did you feel about that? Well, I work in medicine myself. Uh, It really highlighted to me how important note-taking and documentation is at work. There were two women who were on a late lunch and they've been following tweets from the court so what they do is they read the tweets from the court and court and then decide when they're going to come down. At one point, there was a child in the public gallery. He was about 10 years of age. I spoke to the adult with him, thinking that they may have wandered into the wrong court by chance. But no, she wanted him to see how such a case was conducted. 
Inside the court, in the first few rows of the public gallery, were the family and friends of the four accused, and in front of them, in a glass-walled dock, the four accused sat with a guard. The four men were absolutely immobile, facing forward all day long, only moving to pass each other water in plastic cups. In the wider world outside the Belfast court at this time in early 2018, the position of women in society was prominent in the media. There was the Me Too campaign internationally. The march was centered around the hashtag MeToo movement, bringing awareness. Last night, we are to have a referendum on abortion, if possible, before the. In the South, in the first week of the trial, the repeal the eighth referendum was announced. The referendum in the South prompted discussion in the North about the abortion laws there. Against this backdrop, one of the first things the complainant was reported as saying when she went into the witness box sounded like a contribution to the gender debate as well as a reflection on her own position. The young woman said that she was reluctant to go to the police at first, but added, and here her words are spoken by an actor, Rape is a game of power and control. They rely on your silence. The only way you take power back is when you actually do something about it. When you actually do something about it. It was at that point when the proceedings when Judge Patricia Smith asked if she wanted to take a break because she was so upset, but she did uh, continue with her evidence. On the third day of the trial, February the 1st, Toby Hedworth for the prosecution finished taking the young woman through her evidence and the next stage was that she would be cross-examined by barristers for the four men. Another of the recommendations of the Gillen Advisory Panel was that the cross-examination of witnesses be pre-recorded away from the courtroom. Brendan Kelly, barrister, says that video testimony was already an option for the Belfast rape trial. Typically, in a case where there is a sexual complaint, the witness is deemed to be a vulnerable witness. Vulnerable witness is entitled to the protection of special measures. And special measures will extend to the use of screens, or the use of pre-recorded interviews. And that's what happens, invariably, in cases of that sort. In the Belfast rape trial, the woman who alleged she was raped opted not to record her testimony. Instead, she chose to give it in person in court. A decision which Brendan Kelly says may have given her testimony more weight. The further you remove the complainant from the jury be it via screen or television camera or pre-recording, the less real the process becomes. And I remember when we changed from the live witness to the televised witness, and I remember being conscious that acquittal rates soared because jurors were thinking they were looking at television cameras rather than the real thing. So the young woman testified live in court behind a curtain so she wouldn't have to look at the young men, the defendants. But she was shown on a video screen to the young men and the 100 people in the public gallery. Um, the young woman who made these allegations, she's being cross-examined by Brendan Kelly representing Paddy Jackson. He asked the young woman if she'd been intoxicated in the nightclub before going to the after-party. I would say I was drunk, yes. Then the cross-examination turned to the witness's recollection of the events in the bedroom. Just to warn you, this is an upsetting description. The young woman described how Jackson had pushed her face down onto the bed pulled down her trousers and raped her while Stuart Olding raped her orally. She said Jackson was so rough with her that she was bleeding. Her words here are spoken by an actor. I couldn't move. I knew I had started to bleed. Whenever Paddy stopped having sex with me, he started trying to get his hand up me. At one point, she wiped away tears while giving her evidence. 
Brendan Kelly said, why did you not give him a firm no? He was not taking no for an answer. The complainant went on to say that she was frozen with fear. You can't underestimate how scared you are in these situations, Mr Kelly. Brendan Kelly, defending Paddy Jackson, asked her about texts that she'd sent. In one message the following morning, she wrote to a friend, Worst night ever. So I got raped. Then she put in five upside-down emoji smiley faces. The complainant explained that these represented a mixture of emotions. Brendan Kelly asked if they represented regret. Why would I regret a situation I had absolutely no control over, Mr Kelly? If you go on Twitter, you'll find comments about Brendan Kelly's performance in court when he cross-examined the young woman. For example, one person writes, Hey Mr Kelly, your 1700 called, it wants its understanding of consent back. While the young woman was waiting for the taxi to go home from Paddy Jackson's house, she was in a distressed state and was heard to say, this does not happen to a girl like me. Brendan Kelly said, what doesn't happen to a girl like you? Rape, as far as we know, can happen to any girl. Yes, it can. And it happened to me. Then Brendan Kelly said, what might not happen to girls like you is that you are witnessed in group sexual activity. Mr Kelly, again, I was raped. Brendan Kelly said, no doubt it was unplanned. You engaged in group sexual activity. That's what happened. It was not consensual group activity at all. I was raped. I do not think I can make myself much clearer. Does that give you qualms? Does that make you uneasy if you're pushing somebody and, and maybe they're in distress or whatever? But I didn't. I think if somebody was pushing somebody and they were in distress and they were causing distress, then it would be for the judge to stop that person. But that didn't happen in this case. If Brendan Kelly, Paddy Jackson's barrister, thought there was a feeding frenzy over Rory Best being in court, it was nothing to the furore that erupted when he introduced the young woman's tongue into the courtroom. He clearly doesn't quite grasp the basics of hashtag consent. Again, we must alert you here. To prosecute and defend the case in court, the jury was presented with testimony relating to the young woman's bodily functions. Not what you would expect to be talking about in normal conversation, but in court, in a case like this, this is normal. Brendan Kelly said, if the blood stains on the young woman's underwear and jeans were being introduced as evidence of Paddy Jackson's assault on her, then, as Paddy Jackson's defence counsel, he had to challenge that point and show the jury why he was doing it. The clothes had to be introduced because of the confusion between what might have been the source of blood and what was the source of blood. So the way that was read outside was that this was humiliation heaped upon humiliation and the complainant. So had counsel not put the clothing to the witness, we would have been bound to be criticised that these points are made to the jury, but the complainant was not given the opportunity to answer them. The woman had told police that she hadn't put the thong back on after the alleged attack, but put it in her pocket. Brendan Kelly asked her then, why, if that was the case, was there blood on the thinnest part of the thong? Because I wiped myself, I was aware that I was bleeding. Brendan Kelly said, The only reason there could be blood on those pants is because you were bleeding immediately prior to the attack that you describe. That's completely incorrect. I was bleeding because of Patrick Jackson. The doctor confirmed that I had an internal tear. I was not bleeding before. I was not on my period. 
But outside, in the world of short social media comments, it looked as if a middle-aged man in a wig and a gown had flourished a young woman's thong as an attempt to imply something about her attitude to sex. Everyone is entitled to innocence, but the questioning of Brendan Kelly QC tells you all you need to know about why the conviction rate for rape is so low. How that man can sleep tonight, I don't know. Other items of the young woman's that were in police evidence were introduced. Her white jeans and her sparkly top. The taxi driver who took the complainant home from Paddy Jackson's house told the police he had noticed dark staining on the seat of her trousers. When the young woman was asked about this, she said, I don't know, I'd obviously sat on something. Then there were the stains from makeup and fake tan, which were only in certain places on the jeans and top. The young woman explained that she hadn't tanned her whole body. A text she sent a friend was read out. Like I hadn't even shaved my legs. I'd only tanned the bottom of them and my arms. No way I was ready or up for fucking anything. Again on Twitter, someone wrote about Brendan Kelly's cross-examination of the young woman. Lawyers are supposed to aid justice, not obstruct it. QC Brendan Kelly's manner of interrogation, shaming and humiliating, will almost definitely prevent survivors from coming forward about their experience. It's too easy to stand outside a courtroom and say, well, that was humiliating. I have no doubt whatsoever that it was very difficult. I was bound to put those issues to the complainant. It wasn't to humiliate, but you're meant to. That's what I had to do. I want to ask you to think about your own listening here. For the past few minutes, you've been hearing the case for Paddy Jackson against the young woman's allegations. It's one-sided, obviously, but it mimics in condensed form what happens in court. Now, imagine what you've heard for the past few minutes going on for hours or even days, and you get an idea of what it's like to be on the jury. You're immersed in one side of the story for a long time, and yet you know at the end of the process, you have to recall all of the evidence to make a decision. When Brendan Kelly was finished cross-examining the complainant, she was then cross-examined by the other three barristers. She stepped down from the witness stand at the beginning of the third week of the trial. And that was the end for her of what had been eight days on the stand and eight days in the public eye. Because although she testified behind a curtain, she was, as you know, shown to the public gallery on a video screen. And most surprising to journalists from the South, her full name was used by the barristers throughout the trial. However, even though she had finished her testimony, the complainant didn't leave the court precincts. She listened in to the proceedings from another room for the duration of the trial. Her presence was signalled by a telephone ring, like this, that was heard every time the sound from the main court was patched through to her. So she was present, but invisible. In contrast to the defendants, who were very visible. I'm in a coffee shop across the road from the courts. This coffee shop is interesting because occasionally you will see the defendants and their lawyers sitting here and you'll see the defendants up queuing for coffee and they're presumably not oblivious to the fact that they are the talk of this city and at the same time you think they have the potential to be jailed for 12 years. This was another issue the Gillen Advisory Panel on the Handling of Serious Sexual Offences addressed. The fact that the accused in rape trials in the North are identified, unlike in the Republic. John Gillen said that he and his fellow advisers believe that the practice in the North was better. The defendants in a rape trial should be identified. One of the reasons for the low conviction rate 
is because it's a one-on-one -on -one situation. There's no independent evidence, there's no forensic evidence, and there are no witnesses. But if you have four or five women, for example, coming forward, then that changes the axis. I mentioned women, of course, I mean men as well. We're now at Tuesday, February 13th, and like the other days, the phone sounds like this to connect the court proceedings to the room nearby where the young woman is listening. Again, here, I want to put you on your guard. What's coming up in the next sequence is a reference to the private parts of one of the defendants and the young woman. In one reading of it, you could see this as salacious and unnecessarily humiliating. But the barristers believed that by going into this level of detail, they were best representing their clients. And remember, if you were sitting on the jury instead of listening to this documentary, you would have no choice. You would not be able to switch off. This is the third week of the trial, and today is a most important day for the two lead barristers, Brendan Kelly defending Paddy Jackson and Toby Hedworth for the prosecution. This is when the trial took a most unusual turn for sex assault trials. Because there was a witness. An independent witness. Someone other than the complainant and the men in the bedroom had witnessed the alleged rape. Toby Hedworth for the prosecution. One of the difficulties with sexual assault cases is that the vast majority of cases of sexual assault, particularly rape, arise from a situation where two people have been in a room together in private and there are no independent witnesses. One of them says that something happened. The other one says that it didn't happen or if it did happen, it happened with consent. 21 minutes past five on Evening Extra. Our uh, correspondent Keith Doyle was in court for us today and he's with me now. Uh, me, the court heard from new witnesses today. What did they say? Yeah, well, the court heard evidence from a woman who came into the bedroom where the alleged rape was taking place at the home of Ulster rugby player Paddy Jackson. She said she did not believe what she witnessed was a rape. Dara Florence said she briefly went in... Dara Florence was one of the women at the house party. She was downstairs while the complainant was upstairs in the bedroom with Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding. Dara Florence had arrived with two friends. One of those had disappeared and Dara Florence and another friend went looking for her as they were about to go home. They decided to go upstairs to look for their missing friend. Here I want to pause to refer to the bedroom in Paddy Jackson's house. As a bedroom, it didn't seem to be a private place. Although it was Paddy Jackson's own bedroom, two of the other men at the party say they slept in the same bed with him a couple of times a week. And then, when Dara Florence and her friend went upstairs to find their missing friend, they say they heard sounds of pleasurable sex coming from Paddy Jackson's bedroom. They believed that their friend was in there having sex with one of the men. Rather than turning around and going back down the stairs, they continued up and opened the door of the bedroom. She was then asked by Paddy Jackson's defence barrister, Brendan Kelly, if the woman she witnessed seemed frozen with fear. She replied, no. She was asked, were there any signs of her not consenting to what was going on? And she replied, no. Prosecution barrister later asked her if there were any signs of her positively consenting. Uh, she replied to that, no. One other fact about Dara Florence's presence at the door of Paddy Jackson's bedroom. And this is something the defence and prosecution agreed upon. Paddy Jackson, while he and Stuart Olding and the young woman were on the bed, turned to Dara Florence and spoke to her. To the effect of Jackson inviting her to join in. Her saying no and Jackson saying, are you sure? The defence argued that there's no way Paddy Jackson would have invited another woman onto a bed if he believed a rape was taking place. 
The two barristers asked Dara Florence to go into detail about what she saw happening on the bed. And again, obviously, this is not for younger ears. Toby Hedworth for the prosecution said, you opened the door. What was the result? Dara Florence said, seeing a threesome. Her words are read by an actor. And then Dara Florence was asked to outline exactly what she saw. Paddy was like kind of sitting on his knees. Her bum was up against him having sex and her head was down towards Stuart's middle. Remember, Paddy Jackson claimed he did not have sex with the complainant. Toby Hedworth for the prosecution asked the witness, Dara Florence, what she saw. He said, what was he, Jackson, actually doing? Penetrating her with his penis. Brendan Kelly, the barrister defending Paddy Jackson, then stood up and asked Dara Florence about how much she saw of what Paddy Jackson was doing on the bed. Remember, Paddy Jackson was on trial for vaginal rape. Brendan Kelly said, You do not describe seeing his penis because you did not see his penis. Is that fair? Yeah. Brendan Kelly said, Did you see the complainant's vagina? I wasn't in that kind of direction. I'm outside the courthouse and I have to say, maybe it's just me, but constantly hearing about intimate relations between people and descriptions of people's body and descriptions of people's positions. It's just really wearying. If I found it wearying, imagine the impact on the most important people in the courtroom, the jury. At least I could step outside into the air. They sat there day in, day out, making notes with their boxes of paper evidence, never once looking around, fidgeting or chatting. They sat mute and studious, a powerful presence in the court. I couldn't speak with any members of the jury in the Belfast rape trial as what they said could run the risk of interfering with the administration of justice. However, other jurors who presided over different trials I spoke with said being a juror is a very unusual experience. You're not allowed to talk to each other about any aspect of the case until you're sent out to deliberate. When you're out of the court at lunch, say, there's a court service staff member with you to make sure you don't talk about what's happening in the court. In the evening, when you go home, you're not allowed to talk to anyone about the case or read or watch anything about the case. Imagine what that was like during the Belfast rape trial when it was all over the media and online. The other difficult thing jurors who presided over different trials told me was the fact that they could be seen in court. They didn't like being identifiable, so they kept their eyes fixed ahead all the time and they also fixed their expressions so no one could guess how they were feeling about the evidence. And then there's that evidence. Barrister Brendan Kelly says juries will typically bring a level of concentration to the task. I had watched a jury for 175 days in 2017 on a fraud case. There wasn't a day when they showed any less attention than the Jackson jury showed. The jury system places an enormous burden on 12 random folk to come into court and make a big decision. It's a huge pressure upon them. And then there's the length of time the juries are, as the Belfast trial judge Patricia Smith said, stepping out of their lives. That Belfast trial was supposed to last for five weeks but went on for nine. People who were jurors on similar trials told me that being in the jury box for a prolonged period, going through the evidence, causes you to change. You stop making glib assessments and you make the evidence central to your decisions about the case. From February 14th, 2018, the prosecution presented a series of witnesses. Friends of the complainant, police, forensics, medical. And these were cross-examined by the four barristers for the defendants. 
Toby Hedworth's case for the prosecution ended on Thursday, March the 1st, week five of the trial. In the Republic, Storm Emma had shut everything down, but Belfast was bypassed and the trial went on. When the court sat again on Wednesday and Thursday, week six of the trial, it was time for the main defendants, Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding, to testify. They were first examined by their defence counsel and then handed over to the prosecution, Toby Hedworth, for cross-examination. Again, you couldn't help but remark on the difference in the presence of the defendants and the young woman. The young men were identifiable and photographed coming to and from the court every day. The young woman's identity was protected. In the courtroom, you could see the young men were surrounded by family and friends, giving them encouragement and support. The young woman was in a room elsewhere in the building. Every time the phone rang to connect the court proceedings to her room, you couldn't help wondering what kind of support and encouragement she had in there. Francesca Paddy Jackson spent some three and a half hours in the witness box today. Uh, the system they have in the north and we have here is what's known as adversarial, where one side is set up in opposition to the other. So, just as Brendan Kelly, defence counsel for Paddy Jackson, had challenged the young woman on her version of events that night, it was now prosecution counsel Toby Hedworth's turn to challenge the young men on their version of events. Accepted. And, you know, Hedworth spent a lot of time on the spit roast messages mm-hmm. and specifically... These so-called spit roast messages were a series of WhatsApp messages sent by the men the day after the alleged rape. Stuart Olding's words are read by an actor. We are all top shaggers. There was a bit of spit roasting going on last night, fellas. It was like a merry-go-round at a carnival. And specifically Jackson's description that a spit roast didn't automatically mean kind of simultaneous vaginal sex and oral sex and that it could also mean oral sex and digital penetration, which is what he said happened on the night. Um, Toby Hedworth for the prosecution had a different approach to cross-examining than Brendan Kelly for the defence. No less forensic, but as I noted outside the court on the day... He's the kind of lawyer that you would see on television. He has a very flamboyant way about him in that he uses expressions like... This is a work of fiction, is it not? He would say, for example, when Stuart Olding today talked about his testimony... And when he was talking about Olding's drinking, he would use words like skinful. So he was kind of chummy and jokey. You're good at picking out words and phrases that catch the eye and end up in the papers and allow people latch on to the, the points you're making. So do you work on them? No. I suppose that it may be that in choosing the question in the hope that the question and its answer resonates with the jury, that may be something that becomes quotable just because you've distilled a situation into a straightforward question and answer. Which are using colloquialisms as well, like skinful rather than intoxicated, which is picked up by people. You've got to talk to a jury and to the witnesses that you're asking questions of in ways that they understand and you're on a level with them with um, and, and people don't generally say that X last night was intoxicated they say X had a skinful last night and it, it, it's much easier 
to get a jury, I think, to understand what you're driving at by using that sort of language. And then he created these interesting scenarios where he got holding to agree that any young woman would not be a match for two fit rugby players, which, of course, Olding ultimately had to agree with, but it wasn't necessarily Olding agreeing that he had done anything that would put the woman in that situation. But Toby kept coming back with this combination of colloquial chat, so he would talk about um, Paddy Jackson lying there in the bed with the woman looking like the cat that got the cream. But then he would also say to Stuart Olding, you're lying, these are just lies, this is just a fiction. She was a vehicle for your sexual desires. Through your drinking, you disregarded the views of a person who might get in the way. You're a bit like an actor as well, the way you use your voice, the way you use your body. You have a presence that other barristers don't have. What did occur to me at a very early stage is there's no point in doing my job unless people can hear what you're saying. And you do want to try and command the situation and make sure that the information that is to the best advantage of your case is the information that's put before the tribunal of fact. Finally, on Friday, March 23rd, 2018, the trial judge, Patricia Smith, began her summing up, or charging, for the jury. And here we return to the point we made earlier when we listened to a long passage where the young woman was testifying. That was 20 minutes ago. How much can you remember about her and what she said? Now, imagine you're on the jury the last time you would have heard the young woman talking would have been weeks ago. That's why the judge's summing up is so important, because she goes back over the evidence and reads the transcripts of witnesses' testimonies. Most of these excerpts she read in a neutral way. First the question, and then the answer. But then she came to reading the young woman's testimony, the complainants. And she says, you think you'll kick and you'll fight, but you just freeze. And even though she set out to make that sound neutral, because the judge was a woman with a voice and accent similar to the complainants, it had an effect. It made the complainant, through the judge's voice, reappear in court over a month and a half since she'd been first heard of. So the defence counsel stood up and they complained about the tone and the pace. They said there was a, a problem with the way she was nodding her head and with her intonation. But that wouldn't be the first time I pulled a judge up. Brendan Kelly. Paddy Jackson's barrister. That's what my job is. That's what the system depends upon. So then after that, the judge said she didn't intend to sound different, and after that she read everything in the exact same way. We're now at the end of March 2018. Although the trial began at the end of January, the court didn't sit every day. There were numerous breaks. A juror might have become ill, there was new evidence, or the jury were sent out while there were legal arguments. One such argument took place because of social media. A defence barrister had said in court that, quote, the middle-class girls in the house wouldn't have tolerated the complainant being raped. A local politician tweeted about this and criticised the barrister. The barrister tried to argue that the tweet amounted to contempt of court. At another stage, a judge unconnected with the case posted a reference to the trial on social media. The Lord Chief Justice's office was contacted to have it taken down. Because of instances like this, the review panel headed by retired judge John Gillen recommended new measures to curb social media use around trials. I'm profoundly concerned about the potential impact of social media. The danger of it polluting the uh, stream of justice is very real. 
the headlines, the jury in the rape trial of Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding has found them and two other defendants not guilty of the charges against them. The verdicts then Paddy were... Jackson emerged with his solicitor and made a brief statement. I'd just like to thank uh, the judge and the jury for giving me a fair trial. Uh, my parents for being here every day, uh, as well as my brother and sisters. Um, I'd like to thank uh, my barristers, Brendan Kelly and Stephen Cole. As much as I was delighted for the client, I remember taking his mother to one side immediately afterwards and having a good chat with her, because I think she'd been to Helen Beck. From my point of view, as an advocate, it was a very, very interesting experience. Toby Hedworth for the prosecution. He says the jury had to believe the men were guilty beyond reasonable doubt if they were going to convict them. And that makes it very difficult for a jury who are told that they've got to give the defendant the benefit of the doubt to say, well, we can accept for sure that what the complainant is saying is correct. She did win. She set out to make her point and to say that what happened there in some way wasn't OK. Since the trial, Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding are back playing rugby. Although no longer for Ulster or Ireland. Toby Hedworth and Brendan Kelly have moved on to other criminal cases in England and in the North. The young woman who made the allegation, of course, we know nothing about. She's now 21. At the time of the trial, she was a student. We don't know if she's resumed her studies. She said immediately after the trial was over that she had no regrets about making the complaint. And despite the controversy over her treatment in court, during the trial, the numbers of people in the North coming forward with rape complaints increased. The Gillen Advisory Panel have asked the public in Northern Ireland to respond to their report by mid-January 2019, which is when a report covering similar ground being conducted in the Republic is expected to be delivered to the Irish Minister for Justice. Deputy Coppinger, who's three minutes. Thank you, Laskin Corla. It might seem embarrassing to show a pair of thongs here. And the Belfast rape trial, long after it's over, is still being invoked in discussions, both private and public. Taoiseach, eight months ago, thousands of people took to the streets following the Belfast so-called rugby rape trial.